Church Hurts And is a listener-supported podcast. Go to churchhurtsand.org and click on the Donate button to become part of our support team. So have you ever had something happen to you which has haunted you for your entire life? Well, today we're forgiving the nightmare with Mark Sowersby. Welcome to Church Hurts And. The good, the bad, and the ugly about church, religion, and spirituality with a dash of recovery thrown in. If you've ever had questions about the church, maybe a bit jaded in your attitude toward religion, well, you've come to the right place. Our host, he was an honors philosophy student, ordained a Presbyterian minister, planted three churches, taught at a prestigious university, but now, now he's just an aging curmudgeon who never quits asking the question why. The host of Church Hurts and Dr. John Bash. Forgiving the nightmare. I really don't like Bob. He's rather arrogant and aloof, I think. Oh, he's not that bad if you get to know him. Well, well, who would want to get to know him? He's a jerk. Well, he's been through a lot in life. Give him a break. Who among us has not had a conversation like this? I've heard it so often when I was younger that I got sick of it, but it got me to think, what is it about people who manifest unattractive relational skills, which drive people away, but whom underneath can be really nice people? And since I don't have the time to get to know everybody, what should I learn about how I should behave? Now, that could be a book, but let me jump to the conclusion. Every person you meet has a story. Part of that story will probably include some very vulnerable, life-changing events or relationships which made an indelible imprint upon them. I'm not talking about the kind of thing which comes up in a two-minute cocktail party introduction. Hi, my name is John, and I had an evil stepmother who defined my childhood. How are you? Well, that isn't how it works, is it? But then there are those rare moments, those times in life when another opens up to you in a moment of vulnerability. They wouldn't be doing it if a certain amount of trust hadn't already been built. And then it comes. You hear a bit of their nightmare. Everything changes. They wonder if you will run away, ask more questions or be frozen by the reality of it all. Today we have someone with a real nightmare and the courage to bring it into light. He's even discovered some life principles which others have used to get through their own nightmares. Let's welcome the Church Hurts and Pastor Mark Sowersby. Thank you for having me today. It's an honor to be with you. Mark, um, I'm going to go to a strange place for your nightmare to start us off. Would you start off by telling us about your honeymoon? I'd be happy to. You know, when I think about my honeymoon, I think about how Charles Dixon started his famous novel as the best of times and the worst of times. I think about that because in my life, those two experiences came together on my wedding night. It was the best of times. I thought I was over the pain, over the hurt. I was marrying my beautiful young bride. We were starting life together. We both waited for one another for our wedding night experience to share intimacy and love as, as a young couple does. 
But unfortunately, I brought a lot of scars, hurts, and pain into the relationship. Scars and hurts that were brought up because of the years of abuse in my life. From the ages of 7 to 14, I was horribly abused by my mother's husband. He would come into my life. He would rape my body, sell me to be raped by other men. He had stabbed me, burned me, lied to me, hurt me, and just neglected me. And, and all that pain was within me. Now, again, I, I'm a person of faith. I've run to the altar. I've read my Bible. I've said my prayers. And for that time in my life, in my early 30s, when I first walked down that aisle, and I remember thinking, okay, this is, this is beyond me. I'm over this. It's, it's all done. Hey, but it was hey, my Mark, wedding. Hey, Mark. Let me yeah. let me just let me just interrupt you for a minute. Sure, sure. You just did you just did the whole show right there. I mean, that, <laughs> there's there is so like we can't anybody listening closely. The amount of pain you just expressed, but I want to go back before even that because you just said real quickly we kind of had saved ourselves for that time, and you're talking about something that's really gone out of style. You and your wife were people of faith who literally had said, we're not going to have sex until marriage. And so this wedding night is like the old-fashioned wedding night, right? This is really hey. two people coming together. Like, what's this going to be like, right? Sure. All the nerves and the excitement and all the, the fears and just the beauty of that moment. You're yeah, right. And the, and the normal awkwardness of it. And this sure. is the first time we really are like naked and unashamed. <laughs> and here it comes. Here and it comes. Goes to touch you, and what happens? That's right. Here it comes. You know, a young wife who's been waiting for this moment, and she comes to me as a young wife would, and and she touches me, and I froze up. I froze up. I, I pushed away. I did not know the the healthy touch. I did not know a a solid touch. I only knew touches of abuse, pain, fear, and rejection. So here I am experiencing for my first time a loving touch, an intimate touch with all that is takes place in marriage. Uh, the hope and the love and the forgiveness and the grace and the and the, just the true transparency of the two people, the vulnerability that people bring together. And when my wife touched me in that way as a young wife, I froze up and and I I pushed her away, not in a physical way, but it, I just froze. I couldn't I couldn't give myself to that moment. And it took a long time before I could give myself to that intimacy. And it took me to pray through it. It took my wife to pray with me. We had to have honest conversations. I'm sure I know that she felt rejected. She felt unattracted. She thought, what's wrong with me? But none of that was true. What was happening was me. Well, all those hurts and pains were finally coming into my life and being being expressed at that moment. And it took us a, a year into the marriage to be really able to walk through that, uh, to be able to pray together, to be able to discuss that openly and honestly. I had to become vulnerable. And as a scary place when you've been abused, when you've been uh, treated so poorly, when the people in your life that was supposed to care for you abandon you, uh, trust goes out the door. So, so here I was. How much, how much of this did she know before marriage? I mean, I assume she knew generally, gee, I had an abusive stepfather, right? Well, yeah, she knew as much as I could express. You know, I think she knew I did hide it from her. I'm, I'm kind of an open book, and I shared with her everything I could. I guess neither of us realized the intensity of that moment, the genuality of that moment, what would, uh, what would manifest. And what manifest was me locking up. It uh, wasn't me insulting or, or, or doing anything negative. But it was just me free. I was frozen in that moment. So 
she asked herself, I would imagine, you know, what's wrong with me? Am I not this? Am I not that? Am I not good enough? Am I not pretty? And that was not the case at all. What I carried it that night was all, all those fears, all those hurts, all that negativity being touched in a, in a perverse way, being touched in a broken way, all came to head because I never, I never experienced a healthy touch. I never experienced a touch of, of love. I never experienced a touch of intimacy until that night. And I didn't want to hurt this young woman by bringing in uh, something that was negative to something that was so beautiful. Well, and, and so I'm going to go back again. I'm sure I'm kind of stuck on something else you said. So sure. you, at the age of seven, I just need to stop and say, okay, what did, what is Mark saying he went through? And you started by saying the age of seven. And I just think that's really important, partly because I have a lot of counseling classes and I have a, a significant amount of experience in this subject. So I'm remembering that a seven-year-old, this is somebody in early elementary school. You're just learning to read. You're just learning how to add a few numbers. Life is supposed to be about the running around on the playground and playing tetherball and swinging in swings. And that's when, that's when this horrible stuff started. Sure. Sure. And really my birth, I was birthed from an affair. Unfortunately, my mother and father had an affair together and I was the product of that affair. So I never had a father in my life. I never had somebody there to guide me and direct me. The years before that man would come into our home to begin to abuse me, it was just me and my mom and my siblings that she had from another marriage. We loved each other. We were doing the best we could. My mom was caring for us in the only way she knew how, but she carried many pains of her own. So when somebody came in to offer her the world, offer her security, offer her love, even though they they were they were a broken person and they were lying and manipulating in their own sense. My mom so desired that she just ran into the first promise that she heard. And that promise of this man coming into our home to be the one that would take care of her, the one that would love her, which was again a lie, he began to come into my my heart and my life, if you would, to abuse me. And again, at seven years old, I'll never forget that night. I can remember the cracking of the threshold. I remember the squeaking of the boards. I remember the deep breath of my abuser. I can still smell and still feel that that night that was so much changed my life forever. I remember my body being abused and invaded. I remember the, the stabs in my side and the punches to my face. I remember the insults to my soul and it really broke me. I didn't know what to do with those emotions. Seven years old. Right. You know, I didn't know right. how to navigate through those emotions. You know, this one of the weird things I found when I studied this whole field of sex abuse was they said that the effect on the person didn't necessarily correspond to the degree of the violation. In I other agree. words, you're talking about seven to 14. So you're talking seven, eight years of solid abuse. So my mind says that's substantial. That's through significant emotional development times. That's going into puberty from pre-puberty, all of that stuff. I'm thinking, how can this not just be disastrous? And yet I read, you know, some people that had one kind of mild experience, quote unquote, if there is such a thing, can be as badly affected. But there's still something intuitively that just says to me, that's a long period, Mark. That's just hard. That's your childhood. It was. It was my childhood. And I say it a lot of times, I, I wasn't raised, I survived. 
Yeah, I would, my childhood wasn't one where I was raised in the sense of uh, like other children was. I learned to survive my childhood. You learn to play the part. You learn to say the words. You see the warning signs. You live in this state of constant uh, confusion, constant protection. You're waiting for the other foot to drop. Uh, I think as the person that was abused, you know what kind of day it's going to be by the way your abuser breathes by the way he says a word or she i knew just in the morning how how bad the day was going to be just because of the response of my abuser that day so mm-hmm. you learn to part that in your a seven-year-old's little head has to kind of rationalize all that you have to come up with a system and how to manage through that and you come up with the systems in your little mind and your little uh, your immaturity and then your just uh, in, in who you are you're trying to reason why would all this happened? What's going on? Why is my body being invaded? Why aren't the people who are supposed to be protecting me protecting me? Did I do something wrong? Is it my fault? What did I do to cause this? And you kind of walk through all this. And, and again, I think it was a different time. It was from 1977 to 1984. So the awareness, the advocacy, the groups and support, pastors and preachers and teachers, it wasn't there. It mm-hmm. happened behind closed doors and families didn't talk about it. You know, And I was kind of the last generation that came out of that. Uh, now we have a lot of advocacy, but I was the last group. You know, I think there's a lot of different kinds of abuse that are talked about. Um, we could get a list Sure. of abuses. And, and yet I think childhood um, abuse, specifically childhood sexual abuse, has kind of a natural, horrifying, visceral response by most people. It's, we want to look away, um, but you had to look at it for exactly what it was. And, and before you get into it, because the title of your book and your ministry, Forgiving the Nightmare, I mean, we haven't gotten into who you are and personally, apart from your story, we jumped right into it. Sure, I, should mention, I should mention this, that you're from upstate New York. Define upstate New York. I love your definition. What's upstate New York? Well, I was told that upstate New York is anything above the Bronx. So if you live above the Bronx, New York, it's anything above that. So, uh, But I live kind of mid-state. I live on the I-90 corridor. I live in between Albany and Syracuse. So not too far outside of the Adirondack Park, about an hour and a half outside of the Adirondack Not even about an hour outside of the Adirondack Park. The city is about four hours south of me. So truly, truly upstate New York. So um, by our standards in Orange County, this is OC Talk Radio, you know, and and so you you just live where it's cold. I mean, like really cold. Uh, you're getting to the nice part of the year, we know. Well, it was 79 for us the other day, and that's a heat wave. I mean, I, I'll go swimming at 80 degrees. So, you know, uh, yes. You bet, just not in those lakes, though, because that's going to be cold. But let me let me say this. You're going to get the fact that you get to forgiveness from what we've heard so far is the most counterintuitive thing in the world. I said we have a visceral response of going away, but then our next response is, man, we, we want to go get that abuser. I mean, we, we want him to pay. We want to respond in anger and in fury. And we know you're going to tell us something different because you became a pastor. So you learned something. Tell me about that. Well, I could tell you that all those expressions I had too. There was anger. There was, there was, uh, uh just, uh, uh just, a, I just wanted to 
just wanted to defend myself. You're right. All those same expressions, anger and pain and sorrow and hurt and revenge, all those things that, of course, I'm human and they all flew through me at the same time. But I'll tell you, on my journey, that's why I call it forgiving. It's not just forgive. It's forgiving because there's a journey in there. In my journey, there's been different parts of of this story and different places in my life where I've run to an altar, I've shook my fist to heaven, I've said a prayer, I've, I've opened up the Bible, I've run to my coaches, my mentors, my counselors, my psychiatrists. So through my journey, there has just been an ongoing step-by-step, uh, precept-by-precept -step to grow, to be able to say, I'm still going through it. There are days where I want to run back because I'm very familiar with those, those feelings and those expressions. But I tell people this, there was never a magic moment where it all went away. There was never a magic moment where I woke up one day and everything was a box of cherries. What happened was God became bigger than the pain. The pain's still there. It's still familiar. I can still hear it. It still rings in my life. I could go back there in a second. I was raised in the language of lies. I grew up in a home of abuse. I know how to live in that place. But when I made Jesus Christ my Lord and Savior, when God came into my life, not just a religious way, but in a passionate way, in a real way, a God who loved me through my life, it wasn't every day, step by step. Some days it was one step forward and two steps back, and it still is. But as I trusted God and I leaned on God's word, not man's religion, but God's word, God became bigger than the pain. I, you know, I, I'm a mountain climber. Well, not really, but I like to climb. And I remember one day I climbed the really short mountains. My kids call it the hill. And then another day I climbed a very big mountain, the biggest mountain in New York called Mount, Mount Marcy. And when I was on top of Mount Marcy, it made the, the mountain I originally climbed seem so small. And I think sometimes in life, our problems, when we stand on God's word, not that our problems go away, but God can overshadow them. And as long as I abide in him and he abides in me, and, and again, some days are better than others. Some weeks are better than others. Some years are better than others. So, All right. We're going to get into some specifics about what that means because sure. – you know, it can just sound like spiritual words until we really zero in. But we're going to do that right after a break here. Um, and, and mention, find out more about you. You can go to forgivingnightmare.com and, and see some uh, kind of neat resources. But um, I want to mention that I work for Standing Stone Ministry. Uh, I work with guys like Mark, uh, pastors, Christian leaders, and uh, – we do it to encourage them and to be there when they need someone to talk to. Sometimes that's not easy to do when you're a Christian leader to talk to other people in the church and in leadership. Um, so this ministry, we're able to offer to them because of your generous contributions. We don't charge. Um, if you would consider joining my support team, I'd really, really appreciate it. You can do it. Just go to churchhurtsand.org. And there's a donate button at the top that links you directly to the Standing Stone website. And that's needed and appreciated more than you could possibly know. But I also want to um, ask you, if you would, if you're listening to this on podcast, if you'd subscribe and, and leave a nice message of what you think we're doing here uh, and forward it to a friend as well. Uh, so we, uh, in light of this, I'm Reminded, we have another show that's called Filling in the Ruts with Darren Young. And so when you go onto the podcast or onto our YouTube, which is youtube.com slash John A. Bash, 
you can go see all of our shows and filling in the ruts with uh, Darren Young tells a pretty interesting story that kind of fits our same subject. Um, so with that, Mark, um, so you, you talked about abiding and you talked about your relationship with Christ, but there were specific things you had to do which get us directly to the issue of why you say forgiving the nightmare. You don't say forgetting the nightmare or conquering the nightmare. You're saying forgiving the nightmare. How do you do that? Well, first, let me just pause for a second and thank you for what you do with your ministry. Coming beside the clergy, coming beside counselors and leaders and teachers, thank you so much for how you pray for us and support us and come near us. Uh, you know, I'm a pastor. I've been a pastor, and I, I love being a pastor, but I'll tell you, sometimes sheep bite. That's what they say, sheep bite. And you're right. When we're going through those seasons, we're just husbands and with fathers, and we have bills. We have to pay the same gas prices you pay. I go up to the pump, and I tell them I'm a pastor, but they still charge me the same. So, <laughs> uh, you know, so I just want to thank you for uh, for doing what you do, coming beside the body and helping guys. Because right now, the suicide rate among ministers is extremely high. And uh, it's because sometimes you don't feel like you can go anywhere, unfortunately. You can't be vulnerable. And thank you for doing what you do with your ministry. So Thanks for saying that, Mark. I appreciate no, it. No problem. Uh, you know, I, I serve a real God. I don't serve a religion. I don't serve uh, a system. Uh, I don't serve man. I serve God. I'm not smart enough to know how to do anything else. So I serve the God of the Bible. I serve the God who loves me. I serve a God who's honest and true. And in this journey of abiding in God means seeking that. A lot of times we we know a lot about God, what other people told us about God. But I wanted to take time to study, read, reflect, and know this God that, that I'm trusting in. This God who loves me when I stumble, the God who picks me up when I fail, the God who died for me yet when I was a sinner. And it's, a, it's I serve the God of for God so love, not so much the God of thou shall not. I serve the God of thou shall not for a long time. And it just was beating myself up. I could never be good enough. I could never serve enough. I could never give enough. But there was a day when my heart just changed. And I said, God, I, I want to serve the God that loves me, a God who cares for me. Now, in that love, I believe God's honest with me. Sometimes we go to the woodshed, if you would. Sometimes he has me reflect on my own uh, selfish desires. But you know what? It's a God who cares, a God who's real, a God that's present, a God who's not just one that's far off on Easter morning or Sunday morning, but a God I talk to all week long. And and I know I I know I need him. I abide in him. I abide in his word. I abide in his spirit. And I abide in his promises. And part of that meant forgiving the man who destroyed your life as a child. Yes. Talk to me about that. Sure. Now, you said it perfectly. Forgiving is not forgetting. Forgiving is not, okay, let's have uh, Thanksgiving dinner together. I mean, there's still healthy boundaries between me and this person because the person is still still hurts. Uh, he can no longer hurt with his, his body because he's trapped in a handicap, but he still hurts with his words. So there's some healthy boundaries. And I think sometimes that's a part of forgiveness. You've got to have healthy boundaries. You can only go so far. And I think sometimes when we interpret forgiveness, we go, well, forgiveness has to look like this. You know, we have to have Sunday dinner together. We go on, we go, you know, we're going to go to the park together. Forgiveness is just saying, Lord, I surrendered it to you. 
See, for me, the unforgiveness was a shackle to me. It was a weight on my life. It was the rudder that steered my life. I Every decision, every, everything I thought about was stir, steered by that unforgiveness. And it was just changing me. And I didn't want that anymore. I felt like my abuser was still abusing me. So by surrendering that, now how do you do that? How do you say, God, forgive the man who raped my body? Forgive You do that by saying, uh, trusting God. You know, it was me going to God and one day God saying, hey, Mark, let's start working on this. It wasn't the first conversation we had. It wasn't the first time I prayed. It wasn't the first time I read the word. But in that journey, as God became more real to me, as God's word and his son, Jesus Christ, became more evident to me, and in that passion, in that crescendo of love, I believe that God started to say, now we're going to work on the forgiveness. You've trusted me, Mark. Now trust me to help you forgive. And I thought, well, God, I'm going to be vulnerable again. I'm going to get hurt again. No, 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 because I'm a shield about you. So it was trusting God. And in trusting God, I was able to forgive. Now, some days the flesh, the old man wants to go back and it's, you know, do what he wants to do. But we trust God. But isn't, and this is, this is, again, I think it's so, this whole thing's so counterintuitive, is that really in forgiving this man who's not asked for forgiveness, who's not coming to you saying, oh, whoa, am I, well, you know, was, I'm condemning myself. No, but it's actually taken away the power from him by saying, I'm not going to let what you did eat me up. I'm going to let you own it. I'm going to forgive you for doing it, but it's your thing. It wasn't me. That's right. That's because right. isn't that a lot of it for the the abuse victim is taking responsibility for the wrong thing. Exactly. And in that process of figuring out that was that guy's responsibility. And I can, in trying to forgive him, I can reflect on the fact that he was probably abused himself and I can all that kind of stuff. But then let's get to the corner. And I think this is the corner that, that you mentioned, and I think where the power comes is you had to get really honest about the fact that, no, you also had to forgive your mom. That's right. That's right. And I think that was the hardest part of forgiving was to forgive my mom. See, the abuser I could look at and say, well, his life was broken and what he did was horrible and, and not to dismiss it and not to justify it. But my mom was the one who was supposed to care for me. My mom was the one who was supposed to protect me. And by her not doing that, that part was a deeper wound for me than almost all the other stuff because it was a betrayal. It was a, I felt abandoned. And in that journey, I learned how to forgive my mom. That was the deeper, deeper part about forgiveness. So, uh, you know, you're right. And my mom never laid a finger on me. Uh, she was lost in her own pain and she was oblivious to her, to the situation because of her own sorrows. But when those forgivenesses were able to rise up within me, and again, I don't want to make it a magical moment. There was plenty of times where I shook my fist to heaven. There was many times I walked away, said, no way. I'll never do that. How dare, what kind of God would ask me to forgive? That person deserves punishment and damnation. I'm not going to release them for this uh, because I, I'm right and they're wrong. I went through all that. And there's days I still do. But I'll tell you, in the grace of God, as God has forgiven me much, I want to forgive others much. And it does. It cuts the shackles off. It, it, I live my life. That abuser no longer has a hold on me. But as we said earlier, the seven-year-old who had to rationalize all this, it must be my fault. Something bad's happening to me. And I live with that, that view all my life until the Lord started to say, 
this wasn't your fault. You were truly a victim to this. And you had to let the other person own it and say, you're right, it wasn't me. But it was so ingrained in my psyche. Uh, the, the abuser, even though he hurt my body, and praise the Lord, our body healed, what he really stole was my dignity, my self-respect, my value. He stole those deeper parts of what makes us us. And in God is where I learned to rebuild those things. I I still need help. I'm far from perfect. Believe me, I'm married. My wife will tell you there's still a lot of room for growth here. But God started to restore my value. He started to give me back my dignity. You know, we, we got to go in just a minute, Mark. But tell me a little bit about how much you love your wife and what a great relationship you guys have ended up because you got through it, didn't you? We did. We did. She's awesome. She's awesome. She puts up with me every day and she's a, she's a wonderful gift of uh, my best friend. She's smarter, brighter, stronger. Uh, she must have had a bad day because she said yes to me. So don't tell her. Okay. Now she's awesome. She's great. You know, I, I want to leave you with a, a story, a story of hope. You know, I really thought all this again was behind me. Uh, we were waiting the birth of our first child, just like any expecting father. The day came, we ran to the hospital. I was in the hospital room and my wife gave birth in the natural, normal way. And I was the first person to hold my son, fresh from mommy. They put him in my hands and here I am holding my son. And at that moment, this overwhelming feeling of, of no one ever loved you that much came into my heart. I couldn't believe that this little life that I was holding in my hand, that I would give everything for, I would surrender anything to, I would, I would go without so my child could have the feeling of a parent. And I realized at that moment, no one ever loved me that much. And this sorrow came over me. And as I was holding my child, walking the room and rocking him, I remember that sorrow came over me, but instantly... God's grace began to fill me, and God spoke to my heart, if you would. It wasn't audible. It wasn't a hallelujah moment. It was just a, a reassurance to my spirit that God has always loved me that much. And I don't know why I went through what I went through. I don't know why uh, the pains of life uh, came to me in the way it did. But all I know is that God was with me. I'll someday maybe ask God face to face, but like he was with the Hebrew children, who went to the fire. I don't know why he told Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to go to the fire, but he was with him in the fire. I don't know why I was abused, but I know my God was with me. And that's the hope I find. It's not pretty. It's not psychological. It doesn't have easy, systematic three steps. But God is real, and he has delivered me from this pain. And we all have a nightmare. We all have a nightmare. And no matter what it is, abuse, addiction, divorce, death, we all have a nightmare and God can reach in and touch us all. So that's what I like to share about forgiving the nightmare. Mark, thank you so much. A uh, powerful, powerful story. Go to forgivingthenightmare.com and find out more. Read what Mark has to say. Um, let me just say this before we close, and it's following what you said, Mark. What is your nightmare? Have you ever really told the story and figured out how to make sure it won't, won't come get you in the most inconvenient time? I find in Mark's story a very counterintuitive suggestion. A suggestion one would choose not to follow at their own peril. Did you catch what it was? It's a suggestion. 
Don Henley sings about it as he ponders life in his song, Heart of the Matter. He sings, I think it's about forgiveness, forgiveness, forgiveness. Wait a minute. I thought we're talking about the people who are the main characters in our nightmares. Shouldn't they be the ones asking forgiveness? But they didn't, did they? And now you're telling me I'm supposed to forgive someone who may have taken away the innocence of my childhood. I'm supposed to forgive that monster. Don't you want to jump into this discussion and tell us how ridiculously painful it was to go through what you went through? That horrible marriage, that evil step-parent, that unloving, self-absorbed, natural parent, that best friend who wasn't so best, or that business partner who drove you into bankruptcy. Forgive them. You guys have to be nuts. Now, I could go on and on to cite all the psychological sources, all the studies, all the experts who come to the same conclusion. I could appeal to various world religions, not quite as unified on this issue as one might believe, but instead, I'll appeal to something you may have prayed many times and ask you to take it a bit more seriously from now on. How should we pray? Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Amen. What? Did I mean that when I prayed it? Did I really pray that? Am I going to be forgiven the way I've forgiven others? It's worth a thought for sure. For Church Hurts and this is John Bash. Go and enjoy God today, won't you? Well, that was worth a thought for sure. And brings us to the end of this edition of Church Hurts and. Next week, it's rumored we'll be walking on the edge of controversy, stirring the pot of denial, and finding movement of the divine. Our host, Dr. John Bash, is a shepherd with Standing Stone, a nonprofit ministry committed to caring for pastors and Christian leaders at risk of leaving the ministry prematurely. Come visit us at churchfirstand.org. Tell us your story while you're there. Until then, remember, Church Hurts isn't the end of the story. Now go into the end. Enjoy God today, won't you?